there's a whole lot that we could discuss here, but I did want to begin in a really basic way just by asking about the the genesis of the project and you know how how uh, your your partnership came about to work on it and and how uh, Meltdown was born. Let me start with that, and if David, you'll correct me if I get it wrong. But I mean, David and I, you know, have known each other for some years and always wanted to do a project together, and we'd come close to doing various things. And David had been involved on and off with some things that we had done. Um, but he, you know, David had this idea about this podcast, and we were just getting into the podcast territory and really liked the form because it seemed, um, you know, very much akin to some of the nonfiction docs that we were doing and <clears throat> very sort of narrative based, uh, but digging deep on themes, but in ways that were, were very human. So when David mentioned this to me, I thought, wow, that's great because this is the one thing that nobody's done. People have done a lot about the run up to the financial crisis, but but not very much at all about what happened the day after. And also the thesis was so simple and pure. The idea that the failure to take care, to properly take care of the problems after the meltdown, well, after the, the, the financial crash, you know, really is what gave us Trump. And, 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 and with that thesis in mind, we, you know, uh, I thought, well, let's take this on and, and we put together a team, this one, these, this wonderful group from Transmitter, um, and and we were off and running. And I, I, the only thing I would add to that is is that again, I just want to underscore that there has been a lot of reporting on what happened before the financial cra- crash, what happened in the financial crash, but there has not been as much attention paid to the political ramifications and the ramifications for democracy that the financial crisis really uh, created and and the democratic response or lack thereof to it created, which is that is really when we use the term meltdown, that's what we're actually talking about. The, the term meltdown, I think, as it relates to the financial crisis has been used to describe the crisis. But what this series looks at is a meltdown of people's faith in the government to do anything other than enrich the rich and empower the powerful. That is a, is a meltdown simmering underneath basically everything in politics uh, since the financial collapse uh, and certainly even today. I mean, I, again, I, I, would, I would say that the meltdown that, that we're talking about is something that is still going on today. So this is not just a historical look back. It's how did we arrive at this moment right now? Right. So, I mean, what what's usually conjured by the word meltdown is, you know, these kind of, you know, clips of frantic news anchors, you know, images of chaos on the New York Stock Exchange. I don't know, graphs where all the lines are plunging downward, that kind of thing. But the, the series really takes on two different facets of this. There's what obviously comes to mind, which is uh, all the things I just mentioned. And then there's, as you said, the the political response. So I guess I wanted to ask you both, you know, why did you why did you decide to tell this story now? I mean, the, the financial crisis in some ways has been very meticulously documented, but why is the story important to tell now? And why is this, you know, this the second meaning of the word word meltdown? What's what's the role of that in, in all of this? Well, I'll take a brief whack at it first, and then David can follow and expand. But I mean, look at what's going on in the United States right now. 
we're looking at deja vu all over again, to quote Yogi Berra. I mean, you know, the, the failure to really, on this reconciliation bill, to really get things right, to really deliver what people want. Like, I think the, the polling suggests that 83% of Americans want um, Medicare to be able to bargain forcefully for lower drug prices. 83%. But the politicians can't get that through because, uh, because Big Pharma opposes it. So what does that tell you? And the danger is that we're going to be at this inflection point again, where if this administration and this uh, democratically controlled Congress doesn't deliver for people, they're going to look around and say, well, what good is government anyway? And, you know, maybe we just vote again for people who want to blow it all up. Uh, so, so there's definitely a contemporary hook that, that's more contemporary than even I think we would have thought at the time that, that, that we started to make this. It's, it's in the zeitgeist right now. But the other aspect of it is that it kind of helps, it, it really does help to explain what, what, the, the, what the stuff that was done about the run-up to the crisis and the crisis itself never really got at how we ended up in a place where people were so angry that they would end up voting for somebody who claimed to be a populist, but in fact was representing all the wealthiest interests of all. You know, how do you do that trick? And, and part of the way he did that trick was because there was so much disappointment in the, 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 uh, the political party that was supposed to be representing the people. 